0: Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers, with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kirk Damon. Today's episode is brought to you by Uncle Enzo's Pizza. If it's not there in 30 minutes, the whole world will know.
1: And welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the podcast that asks interesting questions and speculates wildly about what the answers might be. But has no idea what the answer is. That's what might you're right be. actually. <laughs> <laughs> With your host Ben Siders, that's me, and the other guy is Kirk Damon.
0: That's Kirk as in the captain of the
1: Enterprise. We are intellectual property lawyers and certified geeks practicing law in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find me Ben on Twitter at benjamin siders, and you can find Kirk at kirk d m n. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at lggpod. Kirk, we're back. We're back. Just us this time. Just
0: this I know. This is our first episode in a while without a guest. So hopefully you guys like the uh, the guest episodes, but we're back to our witty banter.
1: Yes, witty banter. We've got, <laughs> we've got quite a few topics to talk about today. So... Um, Our main topic is going to be uh, video games, and we're going to talk about just some general issues in video games, some interesting cases, that I think there's a lot
0: happening in video games right now. Um, We're seeing sort of, you know, some interesting law getting developed, uh, you know, much of which is definitely sort of entering the public consciousness. Um, So we just wanted to talk briefly about it, go through some basic stuff, a few updates. We've obviously talked about video games before. Some fun cases
1: being filed, too, over things that are rarely litigated. (laughs) So we're talking about that as well. Uh, some other things that are going on out there in the wider world. Uh, well, we have uh, Public Domain Works. This yep. is the first year since I was in undergraduate school in the 90s that we've had anything enter the public domain in the United States. Yeah, so that's exciting.
0: It's kind of a cool thing, and I think it's it's one of those worth mentioning. People have referred to as Happy Public Domain Day, which was January 1st, 2019. Yeah.
1: Well, we'll get into a little bit about why <laughs> that is. Um, the, well, we can talk about it right now. The short answer is... I think when your copyright expires, so if you file something, say, you know, what was it, seventy-five years ago today, or whatever it was, uh the copyright expires, but you get the term for the rest of the calendar year. So if, if, yeah. if you publish, you know, say July 1st of 2018, your copyright term actually runs until the end of calendar year twenty eighteen, yep. which means everything from nineteen twenty-three or whatever it was, uh is or nineteen twenty one. I can't remember, is uh, is all enters the public domain together on January 1. Yep. So if you've seen anything out there on the internet or wherever else about a whole bunch of works entering the public domain, uh, that is why. They, they all – everything from uh, the the last year uh, entered at the same time.
0: Yep, and that's uh, – I think the, the interesting thing, you sort of bump into it and people comment about um, – the reason why this is—it's worth commenting about—is it's this is kind of one of those kind of vagaries of law, and and what happened here is when they passed the extensions and, and, yeah, the, Sonny Bono and Act. the Sonny Bono Act, and granted some copyright extensions. You end up sort of granting these things in some sense retroactively because you Mm. grant them to copyrights through a certain window. Because of that, we had a 20-year window and basically nothing entered the public domain because everything that was within that 20-year window um, basically got extended. Yeah, it would have, but for this extension. But for the extension. And so that meant that a huge number of works entered the public domain on January 1st, 2019 because sort of... All of this window ran out. Now, from now on at, out, unless we have another extension act, um, we're going to have stuff unlikely to enter every at year. at this point. Yeah, I think that – I mean I, I don't know if there will even really be a proposal from us to a copyright extension. I mean there's no argument that we need to comport with the rest of the world. I mean pretty no. much the world now has a universal copyright. If, I think most people acknowledge being plenty long.
1: I think it will be one-off things like the Music Modernization Act where where something like uh, like sound recordings – which were belatedly added to the Copyright Act. They later decide, we now have a mess with yep. the internet and with you know fifty jurisdictions of state law governing these things prior to 1972. So let's just let's just move it all to the federal law, harmonize it all, and get some certainty in this industry so that we can stop having fights about
0: it. Yeah, yeah, and it's I think you may see some yeah you know sort of piecemeal extension. I don't think we're going to see a broad extension of copyright that covers yeah. all you know copyrighted works. And, and that's and not, not really an lines. extension
1: even. That was more. I mean, it, it kind of is because not all the states protected yeah. things for as long. And the federal copyrights are, are longer, um, but I mean the, the the intention of doing that I don't think was to
0: extend copyrights. It was just to harmonize. It was guy. really to harmonize across different kinds of copyrights. And yeah, it's it, again I think the thing that's valuable to think about in conjunction with sort of the public domain day and the concept of it is that this is unique because we haven't had one for twenty years. Mm-hmm. And we haven't had one for twenty years, not because of the fact that like we haven't didn't have works created, but because there was this just sort of bump.
1: Yeah, there was this and window
0: then, of, of works yeah. that that would have gone in in the nineties, but didn't. And what we're going to have now is effectively every January first, things are going yeah. to enter the public domain again, and that's kind of cool. You know, if you're happening yeah. to be an artist or anything along those lines, or you're you know you're interested in particular works, you know you're going to be able to figure out, hey, this work expires on January first. You know, this work expires on January first this year. Now that um, said, we
1: have to be careful uh, with that. The original work has entered. The the public domain, yes. but a lot of what you know for books, what you go and buy off Amazon.com is not the original. It is usually <laughs> has annotations and forewords and afterwards and uh, and some other things that the publisher adds so that they can establish uh, a new copyright in their particular printing yes. of, of the work so you, you know I mean Beowulf is a good example that's been in the public that was never copyrighted right <laughs> yeah,
0: like, <laughs> I'm not sure there was a copyright yeah. law when that was but written yeah. that doesn't
1: mean you can go take you know the Penguin Books version of it if they even publish it I don't know uh, and then just go copy it wholesale you cannot you know you can only copy the original Beowulf yep. text to the extent you can find it well
0: a good example of things or translation out there like a translation is, is, into English yeah, will be copyrighted separately yeah. Is stuff like um, you know the, the works of H. P. Lovecraft, which you know mm-hmm. for the most part are in the public domain, and you know there's pl- hundreds of public domain copies out there, but there are also copyrighted versions out there of people who've done yep. you know specific annotations, specific collections, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that yeah everything's out there. Yeah, everything is, you find,
1: yeah, <laughs> <Not> necessarily <public laughs> you can find it. Yeah, it's a but it is, is, a, is a
0: very very interesting thing. It's a very sort of it's it's intriguing because as you, as you mentioned, you know we weren't even in law school. At the point in time that you know, the last no, time Bill things Clinton public was command. president, yeah, um, you know, and we sort of look back. It's funny when you actually mentioned Bill Clinton was president. I happened to be, you know, in in the car, I was doing a lot of driving over the holidays, and was listening through things on my iPod, and I totally forgot. Um, but I had a number of Capital Steps albums. I don't know if you've ever listened to mm-hmm. Capital Steps, but you know, they basically do a lot of parody songs yep. and humor um, associated with you know Washington D.C. I have Capital Steps albums from the early two thousands. You know, and they're they're going through you know parodying Bill Clinton and you know George W. Bush, and and stuff like that. And it was fascinating to listen to them because it's you know it's <laughs> uh, you know wh- how much has changed in conjunction with it, and like what was important at that point in time, and mm-hmm. what we are talking about. Um, and in, in even sort of talking through the things of, like, what was a scandal at that point in time? Yeah,
1: that that, that needle has moved substantially.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, it ended up being really fascinating to sort of listen to them and be like, you know, oh, yeah, like, I remember that. Uh, you know, that was an interesting parody thing. And particularly, the uh, again, if you ever know them, I don't know if they still do it, but definitely at that point in time, they had a guy who used to do a, a sort of textual um, – Revision and basically what he would do is he'd reverse the letters of certain words, mm-hmm. which would be so to make it sound funny, yep. and then your mind had to sort of reverse it out to understand what it meant. And he did one of these that's you know the history of the world, basically the mm-hmm. history of the United States up until that point in time, and. It's one of those, like, just listening to it. It's the wait a minute, like, none of this is important anymore. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, like all the stuff we have in recent history, we've completely forgotten. Uh, and and by far the best one, because again, he reverses the uh, the 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 first letters of things. Was the the line Woodrow Wilson won World War One, <laughs> and he sort of you know does a pause and like, no wait, like, <laughs> because obviously you can't do anything with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a it's it's a really sort of. Um, Cool, you know, sort of thing to see, but it's also really interesting to go back and mm-hmm. like look at that. And again, looking at it, you know, that was like a 2000 2001, you know, sort of which presentation. doesn't seem that long
1: ago. I guess to us it doesn't. Yeah. You know, then I meet people who were born in, you know, like my son in the late 90s who are now in college, I'm like, well, I guess yeah. I guess it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah,
0: it definitely is a long time ago, and, and things like that. But it, yeah, it's it's weird because it doesn't feel that long. And like you know, we even comment about it. Bill Clinton doesn't feel that long ago. Mm-mm. And part of it's just because you know, admittedly, we've had you know, Barack Obama was a two-term president, so yeah. you know, we obviously had some time in there. And Bill Clinton himself was a two-term president. So it was W. And then we said George W. So we look at it and we're like, we've only really had three presidents since him. But at the same time, yeah, that's you know still 16 years virtually, yeah. um, and it's you know over 20 from when he was first elected, and mm-hmm. um, and that's the the thing where I think you get into it is it's like oh yeah you know that is actually kind of a long time. It's you seen just, him lately?
1: I mean, he's he's looking older.
0: Yeah, old Bill. Well, I, was, I noticed that comment with the, the the pictures of how much the presidency ages. The oh yeah, residents. even Obama,
1: who's not that yeah. old. Like <laughs> you see, like his inauguration picture, like oh a nice nice healthy young man. Yeah. Now he's like that guy got old.
0: Got, yeah, his gray hair. He's like, All that. It's it's really kind of an impressive thing, but yeah, it's it's interesting again. I think and and turning back to the public domain thing, to think about the fact that you know this has been 20 years, and I think even for any of our listeners, you know, 20 years is going to be a relatively big period in anybody's life. You know, you may very well have listeners out here who literally weren't alive the last time. I was going to say this probably. Happened.
1: I mean, for for those of you who are under say 30, yeah, you probably have no conscious memory of like of like. Every year the announcement. Well, here's what's in the public domain now, and this rush of new movies and books and things comes out because everybody can do it.
0: Yeah, it's not happened. Yeah, and you know the the idea that there's people who literally haven't had that, and and it's it's one of those. I remember they they always did the. Um, the concept of where they do this stuff for the standard Stanford undergrads—you If mm-hmm. have to remember that the, the freshman entering Stanford this year, the following are like things that they've had. You know, they've never known a world without the internet. Yeah, um, I still remember the one that was for one year where it was they don't know what a modem sounds like. Oh man, um, mm-hmm. you know, and you bump into those, you know, kind of weird scenarios of like, you know, yeah. When you think about it, there is sort of huge differences about here. Um, I was joking with it. We were watching uh, some some music stuff on TV with my kids, and we were commenting about the use of mass dancers. And, you know, dancers sort of on stage, mm-hmm. um, and it was joking because the fact that my son was dancing, we commented, he looked like a dancer from Madonna,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: my daughter turns to and goes, who's Madonna?
1: Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like,
0: like, okay, we didn't have a quick music education, and we're showing her, you know, like, Madonna videos, and it's one of those things where it's like, suddenly, they're, they're out of context. Like, you look at them, and you're like, this was radical, like Yeah, when this Madonna thing was seems done.
1: tamed. <laughs> yeah, and you look at it and you're like,
0: this isn't the, yeah, it, it, this looks like something to be on primetime TV, you know, and it really was kind of fascinating. There was a,
1: an offhand mention in the news the other day about Michael Jackson and his death, and my kids were like, who's that? I'm like, all right. I've just, I finally I finally educated them about the Beatles uh, which which was an, an undertaking mm-hmm. and uh, and so now I got to do Michael Jackson and they've uh, to, to their credit they like Michael Jackson so like I get in the car and they're like dad play some Michael Jackson songs which I don't actually have any of my iPod so I gotta you know go on like a streaming <laughs> service and I hope they play the right thing or something uh, see,
0: I, have the, I have the remastered Thriller I actually got that when it came out yeah. um, as the CD which is Isn't really it cool still it has... the
1: greatest selling album of all time I think uh, it Thriller? might be if not as one of yeah. I thought it was by like a
0: wide margin yeah mean the, the remastered Version is one that has like the third verse of the Vincent Price talking. Yeah, they didn't use, and and like all sorts of various things like that. That's actually really cool. And like guys discussing making the video. There's a lot of commentary on it and stuff. The like making that. of
1: stuff for the video is cool. But yeah, uh, I mean we're we're way off topic now.
0: Yeah, but that's normal.
1: Yeah, nah, <laughs> <laughs> Part for the course <laughs> for this podcast. Uh, speaking of off topic, uh, TVs and movies. I got two, and you've got two. Yeah, I I got two. Yep. All right. So uh, I finally saw Ready Player One, which uh, we talked about before. Yeah, and, we both uh, wanted to say. Yeah, and uh, I saw it because my kids wanted to see it, and you know, I you know the reviews I think were not great, not overwhelming for a Spielberg movie.
0: Uh, I don't. Did he direct it? I don't think he directed. I don't know. I heard. I've heard a lot of actually negative reviews about it. Um, that, yeah, you know, a lot so, of people sort of liked it, but it was they didn't like the plot. They didn't like the story. I, I, I'll tell you. I was entertained
1: by it. It captured my interest, um, but there was a lot of of just utter um, uh, screen vomit. I mean, just CGI. <laughs> uh excessive CGI and it made sense in the course of the plot like yeah. they're, they're, so th- let me let me back up for those of you who don't know what it is uh, it's a dystopian future where everybody's poor and, and lives in Cincinnati or Columbus or something and this guy plugs into basically uh, an Oculus based internet you put on a VR headset and like a bodysuit and then it tracks your th- your motions and your in your crappy little trailer and then it projects your avatar into this game and you can interact with people and and do things so it's it's the it's It's what we kind of see the future of the internet being. It's very, very black sun, if you've read um, (laughs) uh, what's it called? Uh, I'm blanking on the title now. Snow Uh, Crash. Snow Crash, yeah, Snow Crash. Um, Very much like that. Uh, and, and the plot basically is that there's, you know, the guy that invented this future internet was this odd recluse, and he left a bunch of Easter eggs, and whoever discovers all the Easter eggs will get the keys to control this online universe, which is where life, you know, meaningful life takes yep. place in the future, because the real world stinks.
0: It's kind of the Matrix, except that the computers haven't taken over, we just do it voluntarily. Yeah, it's, it's just evil corporations, Yeah. <laughs> <right? laughs> so
1: um, so that, that's the basic plot, and, and you will not be at all shocked to discover that the protagonist um, uh, finds all the eggs and, and wins the internet. Yep. So. Uh, and, and and there's a big dumb battle at the end that's chock full of pop culture references um, so, so that's basically it so the, the CGI makes sense in that context I mean it's in a video game world there's yeah. a, it's kind of like The Matrix there's a good excuse for an in-story explanation for the stylistic st- telling of the story yeah. that said most of the action is not that interesting Um, it at least serves the plot in some sense, but I, I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I'm just bored with, with 45 minute action scenes where I know exactly what's going to happen. (laughs) Just get to the end and show me what happens. You know, like that's the interesting part is the denouement. Um, so, you know, the 45 minutes of, of things blowing up and there's an iron giant in there for some reason and all kinds, you know, the Jurassic Park, you know, T-Rex, all that stuff, you know it's it's neat to see it for just a second be like oh we're in that world again yeah. but w- once once you're, you're past the gee whiz moment it's just honestly it's fatiguing it's 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 boring to just sit there and, and watch it and I, I know those of you who are in your 20s probably haven't hit that point yet but you will <laughs> you'll get there I'm like you know what I don't need this I want that 45 minutes of my life back get to the end show, show me what happens I'm more interested in these characters and their relationships and, and an explanation of what's going on than, than watching this this silly battle play out so so, you know, and I don't know. that I've, you know, I felt the same way about the Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> movies. Like, okay, I get it. You've set it up. Now I don't need 45 minutes of people swinging around on ships in a storm. I, I understand. <laughs> I get it.
0: Yeah, I have to admit there were certain parts of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies that were just fun to watch because of what they were. Oh, yeah. Like once, the, and... <laughs> once they set it
1: up, like all the establishing stuff to establish the universe and then play around with it and then you wrap it up. But these movies, you know, spend half an hour setting up a universe and then it's just – endless chasing i mean i find chasings scenes so incredibly boring in movies now <laughs> with the lone exception i guess of um, the mission impossible movies seemed, and uh, and mad max the last okay. mad max movie. the only two action movies i can think of recently where they made the action part of the story in a way that advanced the plot uh, you know and and was was Kinetically interesting to watch. I wasn't yeah. just like, I know what's going to happen. Just get there. Hurry
0: up. Crash the car. Run away. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How do we going to get away and stuff like that? Um, it's interesting when you talk about sort of the things. So I'll use do my first one here, and actually the first one I saw in conjunction was uh, Transformers: The Last Night. Um, I have not seen that, and <laughs> I might not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, the should say like Kirk is a big Transformers fan. <laughs>
0: I'm an enormous Transformers fan. I actually collected the Transformers toys for a huge period of time. I've only just recently sold off my collection. Um, there's a
1: lot in your office still uh, there's
0: still a lot in my office I've definitely kept parts of it and parts of it that I wanted to focus on but a big chunk of it you know was stuff that was just taking up space and, and sort of I'd lost interest in the particular collecting aspects of that so I sold off part of it so I could focus on other parts of it but I mean when the first Transformers movie came out the modern Transformers movie came out you know I was at the uh, the um, opening night I think I was there with you and your son from I yeah we went to um, the OmniMax didn't yeah. we and, yeah. uh, and, so, uh, and you know I I really enjoyed the first one I thought they did a great job with it and um, the movies have unfortunately gone downhill and part of the thing is I think they've gotten too into CGI robot fights. Yeah. The, the first one didn't have
1: much of that. They couldn't afford to yeah. to do
0: it. And, they, and when they did it, it kind of made sense at the end. Yeah. The one comment I made with the first night that I actually like is that the, the robot fights are actually lethal. Some of the robots actually die. Mm-hmm. You know, like obviously, which is one of the big problems that I think you bump into with a lot of sort of you know treasured uh, franchises. They don't mm. want to hurt anybody. But I think the except for Infinity War, But I think the big problem you bought into with the last night is. It's kind of a fun concept with, effectively, the idea that, essentially, Merlin discovered Transformers, and that's where the King Arthur legend came from.
1: That just, I mean, no, no
0: offense to the streamliners that just sounds so dumb. It does sound kind of dumb, but it's also, like, you can have, have some enough, fun with it. it's dumb enough, you make it fun, right? Yeah. yeah, you can have some fun with it of, like, okay, you know, like, nobody's going to believe this, which there is a big thing with the fact that nobody believes this um, and stuff like I think and there's like a fun scene with one of the Transformers is like the um, I can't remember the name of the tank from World War 1 the the original um, tank from World War 1 Rumble and, uh, and he's so he's so old that you know parts fall off of him when he transforms <laughs> and stuff like that. but the, the the real problem with the movie is they kind of do this oh it's this huge overarching plot that's you know continuing the Transformer story that makes no sense. I mean, yeah. it's th- I'm not giving anything away. Well, I am giving the movie away, but you don't want to see it. Um, you know, the, the Cybertron basically gets into low Earth orbit, attaches itself to Earth, and is essentially sucking the life force out of Earth, at which point in time they defeat it. But it's still in low Earth orbit. I would think and the like, tidal
1: forces of a giant planet being right next door. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and the fact that it would probably throw us out of our orbit around the sun. Yeah. And, the, like, they drug these, like, huge anchors across the ground, like, big enough to destroy the the pyramids in Egypt. Somehow this didn't like cause massive dust clouds. So hang on. So there's
1: physical anchors that <laughs> yes, there are physical anchors out. holding
0: you know Cybertron to Earth. Um, oh my god! And you know, and it sort of seems like you, I can't get past the ludicrousness of it. Like yeah. that's the problem. Yeah, um, it's I'm a
1: CGI just, spectacle. <laughs> yeah. Like okay, so just render that, put it, put it on YouTube, and we'll watch yeah. the, the two minutes of that.
0: The only sort of redeeming thing about it, I think, is the uh, is one of the things where they've got a physicist who sort of works for NASA, and they're all this stuff about oh we have to reclaim the staff, and it's all about you know. Like Merlin's fight, and he's like, forget all this, like you know, like mythical crap. Just nuke these cables right here, so it'll break apart, you know, and stuff like that. It's like, okay, this is actually kind of cool because he's very much the realist, and nobody believes him, and he's constantly sort of being picked on for like what it is, and he's the only person that proposes anything that makes any sense. You You kind of need
1: a character in in a plot that absurd. To, to be the one guy that's like, this is insanity. How come yeah. nobody else realizes that this is ridiculous? And that's
0: exactly what he is. He basically does that of like, this whole plot makes no sense. I'm going to propose things that make sense to try to fight this, and none of it's going to work, and nobody's going to believe me because they're all bought into this like you know mm-hmm. supernatural type thing. So that was my one thing with it. It's I didn't even think it was particularly good CGI robot fighting. Um, it had there's a couple points that the plot's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a couple kind of neat plot points. Um, the the idea of, like, combining parts of the Merlin mythology into sort of the Transformers universe, they do a couple of them really well and kind of neat concepts of it, um, but the, the reality of it is is most of it is essentially, like, just incoherent plot. You know, and again, it feels like this is act three of a six-act you know, mm-hmm. giant story that we need to set up the fact that, oh, these planets need to be interconnected and need to have a relationship, which we've been setting up for the last three episodes, any, you know, three things anyway. Let's get away from this big macro plot idea. Well, they and kind just, of did
1: that with the Bumblebee movie, which, which yeah. was better received. I, so seen I'm, it, I think
0: Bumblebee is supposed to be set beforehand. And the other is reason it? I'm saying that is because the CGI, they're like older school looking Transformers. Yeah. Like, Osmos Prime has this older look. And so I'm wondering if it's supposed to be and like Bumblebee is a VW. Yeah, bug. it's actually a, yeah. And so I'm wondering if it's supposed to be set beforehand, like in the well, 70s that, that or 80s. That's why it itself
1: raises IP issues because I believe they wanted Bumblebee to be a VW bug for the first Transformers yeah. live
0: action film, and Volkswagen wouldn't do it. Well, he, he, he jokingly sort of they have the, the, the scene where yeah. the VW yeah. bug and he like bumps the VW bug or something like that and makes it fall apart. Um, yeah, and then they turn him into Camaro. Yeah, um, you know maybe so Chevy just paid more for the <laughs> whatever it might be. But yeah,
1: hey, it's, it's a nice looking car.
0: Um, but I mean they they did this I think Bumblebee as a Camaro worked you know as to what they had as the concept in the first movie it was kind of a fun thing and his talking with the radio and um, okay. and stuff like that and there's there's some fun scenes actually in the uh, in First Night where they have like the, the various Transformers becoming different cars mm-hmm. because they can and there, there's a great scene where actually one of them sort of like the, this woman's trying to escape from the Transformer you see this you know incredibly like high end I don't know what exactly it is I think it might be a, a Lamborghini or something similar to that like pull up behind it and she's like yelling at the person like you know hey do this and like the Transformer turns into that car because he <laughs> thinks it's cool <laughs> and it's like okay that's actually kind of a neat you know, sort of concept of what cool. they have with it well I saw a mm-hmm. first
1: man which is the the sort of biopic about Neil Armstrong and yep. the moon landing, uh, which actually the the movie starts in the early '60s and uh, ends with uh, the moon landing. Actually, it ends with him in uh, in decontamination after he gets back. It's not really about the moon landing though. Like I expected, there to be like a training montage at some point yeah. with, like, a, with like a really dumb like '1960s rock soundtrack in the background, and then never does that. It's really it's really more of a character study about. Armstrong dealing with loss. Uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, you know, as it opens up, he's got a, a daughter that's sick with cancer. She dies, uh, and the rest of the movie is sort of um, him, you know, throwing himself into his work and this mission, yeah. and doing all these very dangerous things. Um, and and you know, as he goes through it, and those of you who've, who who follow the space program at all realize it's very dangerous. Lots of people lost their lives. And he's a good friend that loses
0: his life. Yeah, he does. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, And so there's there's a number of scenes like that where they talk about how many people uh, you know he worked with that they lost in the fifties, and then how many more they lose during the Gemini and Apollo programs. And uh, it's 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 sombering. I mean, it's it's. it's a, it's a heavy movie and it's 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 directed and written very slowly there's a lot of just slow shots of Armstrong It's Ryan Gosling plays Neil Armstrong and does really well with it uh, just sitting at his desk and just staring off you know for for 10 seconds so it's, it's not like an action exciting movie although they do I think fictionalize uh, the eagle landing a little bit I've watched the video of the actual eagle landing before yeah. so I, kn- I knew what was going to happen and then at the very end of the eagle landing in the movie like they're almost out of fuel and they're going to fall into a Crater like that? No, <laughs> there was no crater to fall into. Yeah,
0: we, they were getting well, They were going to. They did miss the landing zone, and there was a danger. And yeah, I think the fuel. I think the fuel was accurate. The f- I think the the there fuel, was some concern the fuel, was they were run the fuel. Also and not interesting. Be able to
1: land. Um, they had a button. So in the movie, as he's landing, a bunch of different like random alarms go off in the eagle, yeah. and he's like, "I don't know what that is." Flight, tell me what this alarm means. I'm like, I don't remember hearing that. So I re-listened to the landing, and you can hear those alarms go off, and he and he and he does ask them what it is, and they're like, "We'll check on it," but it doesn't matter. Like they never get back to him. before yeah he lands the thing so um, you know the, so the moon landing is part of it uh, it's it's it, it does give you a sense of the gravity and severity of what they were doing haha <laughs> gravity um, uh, but it's 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 not really like a space action adventure movie yeah, it's, it's really not the right more, stuff yeah it's 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 much slower um, there are a couple scenes where they show him training and like the, the the multi-axis spinner and some of that kind <laughs> of stuff um, the, the part i probably like the best though is uh, when the when the ships launch, they show you the viewpoint from inside the cockpit of the capsule, oh, that's
0: cool. which yeah. is
1: just you know it's this little tiny metal box on top of a giant missile, yeah. <laughs> and you know and it's you know it doesn't have shock absorbers, you know it's not a it's not a sedan. Yeah. So when the ship takes off, everything rattles and creaks, you know. Uh, it's not like it was really aggressively field tested, and uh, you just see the viewpoint from inside the ship and all the rattling and the noise and how much control they don't really have over it. Yeah. it is utterly terrifying even though you obviously know he survives so um, it's it's interesting to see because I can't remember a movie made with that perspective yeah. um, of, of being in a ship during a launch is always from the outside which is way more interesting because there's basically no windows
0: yeah yeah that's kind of cool actually with the the idea of you know what was it like to basically be on I think yeah. your, your statement is yeah I mean yeah you're truly strapped to the front oh, of yeah. a it's missile very close barely understand yeah yeah so you know? um, I, I
1: definitely I enjoyed the movie um, but like I said if you're not if you're looking for something that's like really detailed into the science and the engineering of the space program. It's not really what it's about.
0: Cool. The other one I had with it that I actually just finished this morning. Um, you know, prior to doing this, is a movie I really wanted to see and have wanted to see for a long time, which was Annihilation. Yeah, I want to see that too. Um, and part of it is you know, we both really enjoyed Max Machina, um, You know, similar, similar uh, director, the same director. Um, I also like Natalie Portman. It's it's one of those where I really like her as an actress. She's one of the few actresses that I like would see a movie just because she's in it. Though I like her in serious roles. I think she does much better um, in sort of serious, somewhat gritty roles. to Be mm-hmm. quite truthful. Um, that's a little bit what this is I mean she's as they, they comment about early on in one of the, the scenes in it all the characters are damaged goods yeah and it's done very what's much on the premise. I think a lot
1: of people this is a movie that really flew under the radar yeah
0: it definitely flew under the radar it's I've heard it loosely described as a science fiction horror movie I would not say it's particularly horror um, it definitely is suspense at times the basic premise is um, you find out that uh, Natalie Portman is a professor she's a um, professor in medical school because she's talking to future doctors but she's essentially a cell biologist Obviously, studies some form of cancer, um, and it starts off with her, you know, giving the lecture, talking about you know cell division, and that's what they're going to do in this class. You find out that her husband is a soldier; her hus- husband's been missing in action for a year. Um, she sort of can't get over it. Um, you know, it's it's definitely causing her, you know, huge amounts of sort of mental distress. The that coming weekend, she's going to go home and repaint the bedroom, which you get as an idea that this is kind of this cathartic event of her mm-hmm. trying to let go, starting over. And- While she's painting it, her husband shows up coming back from the, from a mission. They, like, sit down at the kitchen table. He can't remember anything. He's saying, like, I don't remember. And he's very dazed and very sort of confused and out of it and stuff like that. Um, I think an extremely good scene and they actually do some stuff they use the scene imagery later on is he takes a sip of water and he says, I don't feel very well and he sits the water down and you see blood spreading through the water. Mm-hmm. Um, which one time the next scene is your cut scene to them in an ambulance racing to the hospital. They get yep. pulled over by the ubiquitous black SUVs um, hustle him out. She wakes up in a some kind of government facility which you find out is outside the shimmer. Um, and you've seen earlier you saw a meteorite hit a lighthouse earlier. That's just something you saw. Um, and basically, the shimmer is this area where they've had. They know it's centered around a lighthouse. They don't know what's inside it. They've sent teams inside it. But None of them have sort come of back.
1: Ge- geological disruption. Yeah, of some something kind. disruption. Yeah.
0: Stuff like that. You know that. But basically, they've sent teams inside. None have come back. Her husband's the first person to come back. He's suffering massive organ failure. His body's basically falling apart. Um, and they're trying to figure out what this thing is because they know it's expanding, and mm. they have to do something about it. So it's, it's, a, it's sort of a mystery horror. Like, what, what's yeah. in there and what's causing it? Yeah, what's inside, what's in it is what's causing it. The, um, they end up picking another team. She ends up volunteering the team. They do a really great job of one of the comments they make is, you know, oh, it's all women. And they never yeah. say it, but they hint at the, that's because we need to control for the fact that all the rest were men and they didn't come back. Maybe that's part of it. I thought that was an interesting part of this particular movie
1: that all, so there's four main characters, right? Yeah. All, all four of the main leads are basically female scientists of some kind. Yeah, right?
0: well, so you have you have a, essentially a psychologist who picks all the teams yep. and she decides she needs to go in herself. This woman who's, uh, basically you get the impression, she's a very high-end cell biologist of some form. Um, you have another woman who's a geologist, sort of geologist-physicist type of, Of person, and then you've got a person, a woman who's paramedic, Mm -hmm. um, which also is very logical. The other thing is Natalie Portman's character is also an ex soldier. Yep. um, And she's the only one with military training. She's been in the army, that's how she met her husband. Um, you get the impression everybody else's military that's gone in. This is the first time they're really sending scientists.
1: And this came out at the same time <laughs> as the Ghostbusters reboot. Yeah. Which I wonder if that's why it was overshadowed because that was like the the girl movie, yeah. right? Like the movie that, that has all the gender roles flipped from traditional yep. Hollywood scripts. And that got all the, the press attention. And this one, I didn't hear anybody talking
0: about Yeah, it. and it's one of those where the fact that they're all women is, like I said, it's hinted at in the beginning that like this is just controlling yeah. a variable. But it's... You know, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. The point of it is is that there, there are people coming in here that are placed in an extremely yeah. unknown environment. There are four
1: characters who happen to be women. Yeah. But and, it's not... Yeah.
0: yeah. And one of the great things, and again, this is early on, and if they first step inside the Shimmer, you sort of see them step inside the Shimmer. The next scene, it starts. And they get she has this weird dream the thing. You don't know if it's a dream or a flashback or what exactly it is. Um, where she's been with a man who's clearly not her husband. And the... Um, you have this scene, she, like, wakes up inside a tent, and she opens up the thing of the tent, and she, like, comes out, and she's clearly disoriented, and you see, like, the other people in the team, and, like, one's, like, moving, like, packs of stuff out of their backpack and things mm-hmm. like that, and she, like, walks over, and she's, like, you know, sorry, disoriented, like, what's going on? And she's, like, yeah, we all are, and he's, like, do any of you guys remember setting up camp? And they're, like, according to our rations, we've been here four days and it, it literally was the mm-hmm. jump cut like you don't remember any of it either because yeah. that was the jump cut from them entering the shimmer to this morning See, like and, that.
1: that's good storytelling right like we're following these characters we're experiencing yeah. what they experience and you know some of the tension from a movie comes from the audience knowing some things the characters don't because you know they're walking into trouble yeah so it's it's a little bit of a risk to tell a story that way right where you're like we're not going to give you any other information you're going to yeah. discover this at the same
0: time the characters do and what i think was really cool in the way they did it is the the women all have very different reactions to sort of what's going on in this you know, there's a real question of, like, as they said, there's two outcomes for what happened to the teams. Something killed them or they killed each other. Mm-hmm. And it's constantly this interplay of like, are we going to kill each other? Like, and you can see, like, they're meant But basically, the, the basic reference they give away pretty quickly is something is happening in conjunction with the biology here, which is effectively making chimeras. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, you've got, like, plants that are growing together, like, single plants on the same vine that shouldn't be growing together. They encounter a few animals that are clearly, like, copies of animals. They do some really cool scenes. Um, one of the first... The, the later animals they encounter... I don't want to give it to me too much of the later parts of the movie. But one of the, the animals they encounter, the chimeric... Idea of it being a hunter and what it gains Mm -hmm. in the course of being a hunter is an extremely disturbing concept that really works in the movie and makes it a truly terrifying enemy. Not least to the fact of just the way it attacks and mm-hmm. what the, the what else is going on at the point in time it attacks. But some really interesting stuff with that, some interesting stuff of sort of the relationship between them, what this thing is. The one unfortunate thought I think I had in the movie is they kind of do some cool stuff at the end in conjunction with explanation both of her husband and what's going on. It does definitely leave some interesting unanswered questions that they definitely go straight to at the end. At the same time, I found the end a little disappointing mm-hmm. um, because I think they could have done much more with either leaving it open-ended or giving it a little bit more of an explanation either direction would have worked a little bit better I felt like it kind of just ended yeah um, and you know it's something where they're really there's no real grounds for a sequel they could do one but there's no real grounds for a sequel
1: no, I kind of um, like that I'm tired of everything having to have a, a
0: sequel tacked on yeah again. It's and if you've seen Ex Machina it's got some of that similar <clears throat> thing of like you know wait there's there's something potentially loose in the world mm-hmm but we don't really know if it's dangerous or anything. Like, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And that's what I thought... I, I think he was going for that same feel, but it's just kind of a weird... Would you recommend it? With it? I would recommend it. Um, it's a it's an extremely beautiful movie. The cinematography is amazing. Um, I mean, I, I love movies that are sort of well shot. Yeah. It's... I mean, again, I do a lot of technical things. Whoever did the set design did a great job. Um, there's so much stuff is just disturbing about the set design. With this being sort of alien and foreign... Um, You know, and you get the impression, so there's like a number of scenes where you get these kind of weird colored lichens like growing on things. Periodically, they just show up. And they just happen to be in weird places and things like that. And it just makes the whole thing disturbing, like Mm. what you're seeing. Because it's all very natural except for these pieces that aren't.
1: See that 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 I like that I like that approach to where it doesn't like like there's not some some evil space monster you know yeah. it's just it's just this natural phenomenon that's happening and producing whatever the threat is and you've got characters who have to use their skills knowledge intelligence to yeah. to Figure overcome out what the problem it is. Yeah. and
0: and it also happens to make things dangerous there's a great line she actually says right at the very end of it where it said it was you know it was destroying things and she's like no it was changing things yeah and it was like okay that's a the great way to look at the movie is it's changing things. It'd be fun to explore that uh, thematically. (laughs) Okay, well, we got to probably move on on to some real topics here. Yeah, let's talk about video games. Yeah, let's talk about video games.
1: So uh, we did a couple episodes where we hit on some video game issues. Uh, I think episode eight was when we talked about video game clones. And uh, today we're going to talk about um, other issues with video games, uh, and we'll just kind of go through those one by one. The, the one that's probably the most interesting right now is the dance choreography cases yes. that are going
0: on. And I think we really need to talk about This is the Fortnite issues. Yes. I think most of us have heard about this on the news.
1: If you haven't, then um, three people, at least three, have sued the makers of Fortnite. Yeah, there there's three
0: currently yeah. that are all filed together. Yep. There's one prior case. Let's back
1: up. If you don't know what Fortnite is, somehow. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> Why are you listening to this it's, podcast? It's basically an arena game where you, I, I never played it. Uh, I'm not interested in playing it. Uh, no offense Fortnite but uh, I can't can't keep up with your fast (laughs) twitch my nephew plays
0: it yeah I can't do fast twitch games anymore either but it's it's an arena combat
1: game long story short and you can buy emotes and whatnot for your character in the game and one of the things you can buy is dance moves yeah a
0: lot of the emotes basically are dance moves so there's no discussion that just characters do certain dances they have certain meanings this is my understanding from it again my my nephew plays I don't but my understanding is that like you don't really talk you emote by doing these very short dance moves yeah
1: uh, and so they've incorporated some dance moves uh, that you know uh, purportedly belong to somebody else, yeah. and they're now being sued over. One of them is the Carlton from yep. the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Uh, for a good chunk of our audience, you may have no idea what that is. It's what <laughs> Will Smith did before he was Will Smith. Yeah,
0: that's was, um, Will Smith Sort of. I think it was kind of thing that made Will Smith famous in some respects. Probably.
1: Yeah. yeah, it was his first big TV break after uh, yeah. after. Uh, and it was a
0: popular show. It, it was really on. was.
1: Yeah, I watched it. <laughs> uh, it was a good show. Uh, anyway, his his cousin, I think it is, is uh, uh, Carlton. What's his yeah, last I name? I don't remember.
0: We should have written this down from the, yeah, I from
1: the show. I know. Uh, so anyway, the actor that plays Carlton, who's sort of a, a stuffy um, um, uh, Poindexter type on the show. I wears a lot of sweaters. <laughs> uh, Carlton is there's a scene where Carlton is doing this dance. He puts a, a record on and starts dancing around and Will Smith sees him and yeah. it's it's pretty funny. Just Google the Carlton. It's kind of a crazy dance. I mean, it is. it's a very it's, energetic. It's a crazy I've, dance. I tried to do it once to show my kids what it was, and I realized I don't I can't do that. Um so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy dance. So one of them is the Carlton you can get uh, in Fortnite. Yep. Another one is the floss, which I guess is that dance the kids do now where they just yeah. swing their arms back and forth. It's, a,
0: it's supposed to look basically like you're flossing your butt. I mean, that's the sort of <laughs> the easiest way to describe it. Yeah, I'd,
1: I'd seen <laughs> it done, and I'm like, what, what is that? And that was
0: one of my get-off-my-lawn y- moments I <laughs> yeah. <a> year old man. <laughs> <laughs> my kids were doing it, yeah. So my daughter, if you can see, she's in gymnastics <laughs> and stuff like that, so she'd take it, and she'd encountered it a lot and a lot at school. So I was very familiar with the floss. That and there's another one by,
1: by a rapper that I can't remember what the... Uh, two Millie, I think two it is? Milli, yeah. Or, uh, anyway, so, uh, anyway, so these three people have all sued uh, Fortnite saying that their dance choreography was stolen. And the question is, well, was it? Uh, and there's, there's really a couple of different questions yeah. here. One is, do one of the they things own we,
0: I think we want to put in conjunction with this is there's a lot of people talking about this on the internet and a lot of stuff yeah. out there. And from our point of view in looking at this, this is actually an extremely complicated legal issue. And yeah. the fact that there's a lot of interacting things here and I think a lot of people who are discussing this on the internet are simplifying it. They're focusing yeah. on one of the points and, and sort of saying, oh, this one obviously solves yeah. it. And a lot of what we wanted to do – reason we wanted to talk about this is there's a lot of different things here potentially at play. Yeah. And how they interact is important.
1: The, the threshold question is whether these dance moves could be copyrighted at all. At all. Yep. And, and dance choreography is eligible for copyright under certain circumstances. Correct. But the scope of that – protection is relatively narrow compared to other forms of yep. copyright.
0: And these are short dance moves. And there's They're a lot of indication short. that very
1: short things are not subject to copyright. And there's not much litigation on this. I mean, you can imagine dance choreography is, I think, was added to the 1976 Act. Probably wasn't protected before that. I don't know for sure, but I'm, yep. just, I'm just guessing. The um, written
0: choreography would be. So the actual, like, drawing or yeah, writing out yeah. a choreographic book, something like that. But the actual physical dance move that somebody's performing... I think the other thing, and again, a lot of you will stop here. Like, they they look at this and say that's all there is in conjunction with this issue. And, oh, it's short, so therefore it's not copyrighted. I think the question you bump into is, is that really true? Is this short? What is it? What you really bump into with it is – and I think we were, we were just talking about this beforehand. We're kind of jumping back, I think, to the 80s. Mm-hmm. And like Michael Jackson, um, you know, particularly Michael Jackson, but a lot of performers sort of from that era. This was an era when sort of new true dance moves were created, mm-hmm. not necessarily dances. So you go back to like, you know, hey, you've got like swing dances and stuff like that where sort of whole dances, yeah, dances were created. Dances used to be
1: sort of a formalized style with, with defined steps that were yeah. part of the dance. And, and, and you know, skilled dancing was about how precisely you perform the steps and, and what your body posture and yep. shoulders and foot and footwork and that kind of thing. And you know more contemporary modern dances don't have those elements where it's that strict. Have you ever watched the shows like uh, so you think you can dance and stuff yeah. like that? Um, you know, the, the more modern styles are, are less defined. It's more about an emotion or a feel. Yeah. Um, and and or like the pop and lock dancers. That's crazy. I've yeah. never seen those guys. Well, and I
0: think the, the thing is, is if you talk about sort of swing dancing, I mean, I studied swing dancing when I was in school. You know, I took swing dancing classes. We took some perf- some swing dancing classes after we graduated. Just like Kirk, Kirk and
1: his wife are about the only people who dance at our firm events. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah and we, we people actually who can dance at our firm can events. We actually aggressively
0: sort of swing dance. We don't do full swing. We do, a, a, we do what we know as Lindy Hop. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, there's defined moves in that but at the same time you can make up moves yeah. in conjunction with it, how you put them together but if you talk about it as a choreography I think most people would look at it and say well us doing the dance to an entire song is choreography what about one individual move you know yeah. these moves is what it is but again when I think you get into a lot of modern dancing and again the reason I specifically say the 80s I talk about Michael Jackson things like the moonwalk and the thriller yeah. and stuff like that that are very short dances they're individual moves yeah they're individual moves that were sort of combined together and were done underneath it and in some sense I sort of put it in break dancing yeah. and these very aggressive very athletic moves but they were not dance moves done in a particular pattern or a particular dance they were just truly dance moves to do to music whenever you wanted to Mm -hmm. and I think when we were growing up that was kind of what dancing was like when you went to a a school dance everybody got in a circle and like somebody did just moves in the center and sort of the more crazy you were the better Mm -hmm. that you kind of this change of dancing, and I think that's one of the issues we have with this, is what we're seeing here is this change of dancing, that dancing now arguably is a lot of very short moves. We don't have the idea that, you know, we have these big choreographies, this, you know, yeah. we're not square dancing anymore, or we're not, you know, doing foxtrot anymore. You have or those anymore. for, like,
1: competitive dancing. Yes. Like, if you watch these where you think you can dance shows, yep. they will choreograph an entire song. And yeah, and I think that's more what dance choreography as a copyright matter is meant to protect. Uh, but, you know, you can you can imagine... Because the rights you get if you own a copyright to dance choreography include the right to public performance. Yep. So if the floss is copyrightable,
0: then no one can swing their arms back and forth in front of themselves in public or you violated the copyright. Yeah, under, under public performance. And again, I think a lot of people sort of end the analysis here. They sort of look at it and say there's no way these things can be copyrighted. well – we've commented about and sort of you know looking at it is that there's a lot more at stake here one of which is not just is the dance copyrighted and sort of how does this apply and again I think if we look at it and say the dance is copyrighted whether or not they stole it is a is foregone conclusion so basically that's yeah. th- there becomes a very interesting question of is the dance copyrightable yeah. how much of the dance is copyrightable sort of
1: the key question in the yeah. case and
0: if you compare something like the floss which is very simple to the Carlton which is quite a bit more, more involved, aggressive yeah. more involved is there a difference there where do these things fall the second issue when that I think is being very much overlooked is where did they get the da- the image for the their you know avatar dancing from in the first place? Mm-hmm. And there's been some assertion that they actually physically copied the video. They actually image-lifted the Particularly video. Particularly for the Carlton. For the Carlton in particular. Yeah, the floss,
1: the kid, I think, just put a video on, on the internet. On YouTube, yeah. But the Carlton was part of a television production by NBC, I think? Uh, might have been. I can't remember yet. Yeah. I think. I can't remember what channel that was on. Um, but yeah, but so, you know, the question is, did they not only infringe the dance, if there even is a copyright yep. in the dance, did they infringe the video by borrowing elements of the recorded performance yep. of the dance and replicating it
0: in the game? And, and I think that's one of the really interesting questions is you may have a secondary sort of copyright infringement here, which is the copyright in the video. The problem with it is, is at this point in time, we arguably have the wrong plaintiff. Because yeah, the, the, the actors own it. <laughs> yeah, the actor probably does not own the copyright in the video. That's probably owned by the television studio or by the producers. Um, and so, you know, it's a very interesting question of sort of is there something else at play here? What else have we got? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I think that you know the likelihood of us getting answers to any of these questions in court is probably relatively small. We, we have talked about there was there was a fourth suit that was that earlier was settled, yeah. that was settled. There's probably a decent chance that these will settle and we'll never get the answers to these questions. But I think the the real point of us talking about it here is it's not simple this is not something that's simple as to look at it and say these are short moves and therefore not subject to copyright even though dance choreography is copyrightable there's both a lot of questions about short versus long what is mm-hmm. copyrightable in dance choreography an area that's really not been litigated again what's lo- how long is long enough well, there's also
1: some guidance from the copyright office saying that that certain types of dances, like heritage dances, are not protectable at all, like yeah. square dancing and things like that. Yep. and I don't know what the I guess I can speculate as to what the public policy reasons for that are. But I mean, dance choreography is one of those areas where I think any copyright protection, by necessity, has to be pretty thin. Yeah, because you can't you can't just allow people to to establish. You know, 100-year monopolies over certain ways of moving your body. <laughs> yeah. Like like you've you got to be able to get around.
0: You but know? again, I think there's really potential to get at heritage dancing and you look at the fact and say, hey, well, heritage dancing is something we're supposed to do socially. It's not supposed to be covered because yeah. it's exactly this. Well, these are not that. You know, these are all modern. These are all things that have come out essentially in the last 20 years. Yeah. Does that have a change, you know? And, and does that affect things? But well,
1: I think of like World of Warcraft, which which famously has every character you can play does some kind of different dance. Yeah, and uh, I think, and then even some of the characters you can't play, like there's ogres in there, and every uh, once in a while they'll they'll get up and do the Chris Farley Chippendales dance from Saturday <laughs> Night Live. You know, now I mean Chris is is gone, so maybe that's why nothing was enforced there. Uh, but I mean, they also have, um, like well, the presumably
0: na- his estate still has the rights. Yeah,
1: I guess they would. Um or NBC would for Saturday Night yeah, Live. Exactly. But like, you know, Michael Jackson's uh, um the, the night elves in that game did Michael Jackson's uh, moves, they did the moonwalk and some other things. They all had various dances. Yeah. Uh, and and to my knowledge, nobody ever raised any issues with them. So, you know, with this going forward, does that change? If people start taking a closer look at that and those Blizzard need to maybe go back and, and rethink
0: <laughs> or get licenses. Yes, and and I think that's the other thing that makes this so interesting is we're in the age of the meme now. You know, mm-hmm. where uh, things are much shorter, stuff like that. If we look at it and say, well, you know, short dances are not copyrightable, are tweets copyrightable? Those are yeah. short. Yeah, you yeah, know, short. I mean, you know, you kind of bump into things like that. Well, you know, what about the individual image that we turn into, you know, the random meme? You know, the Game of Thrones image we turn into the random meme. You know, those kind of things is what it is. We, we've really got – we've had a societal shift, and I think that the – the dance choreography questions raised in a lot of stuff by Fortnite echoes that. Mm-hmm. And it happens to echo it in an area of copyright dance choreography, which has very little law. Like, yep. It's been sort of established, very little judicial determination around it. So we've got these kind of very interesting questions. And again, from us as IP lawyers, I think this is where we look at this case and go, this is actually extremely interesting. Yeah. Um, and we'd love to see some of this go to court. Again, I'm not sure it will. I think these I potentially think have to be settled. But... but, you know, it's something where it's a very interesting questions that impacts a lot more than just the dance choreography for emojis in Fortnite. That impacts <laughs> what is copyrightable when it comes to things that are short.
1: And what was interesting about this case, one of the things that's interesting, which you kind of alluded to earlier – is it almost I mean, the infringement argument is almost non-existent, or the non-infringement argument? Infringement, I mean, matter, they yeah. clearly borrowed it. One yeah. of is called the Floss. Yeah. So the whole thing turns on whether it's eligible in the first place. We're going to have a, a lawsuit about copyright infringement. I mean, they'll have fair use defenses yep. and all the other, uh, you, know, you know, the, but even all the, fair use the kitchen sink is thrown Yeah. Copyrighting. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, as a threshold matter, you have got to get over this this question, and uh, you know, and then and then also. Do the plaintiffs want an answer to that question at all, or do they just want to get a settlement, get some money, yeah. uh, and, and not have someone come out and say, no, uh, the floss is not copyrightable,
0: and now we all can yeah. do it all we want? Well, and if I remember rightly, the, uh, the rapper who's involved in it, I believe, has actually said he'll license— them to, yeah. to use the thing so i mean we've also I mean, got the potential of the yeah. licensing sort of thing but he's even specifically said he wants it credited as his yeah. dance it's not credited as him well, yeah, and, and particularly he wants it for credited. a rap
1: artist where the, the performance is a big part of the the value of of the the, the art form you know that makes a lot of sense for him to, to say look you know you want to use my dance fine but i should be credited as the person who came up with this this yeah. is part of my signature act
0: yeah, and so there's, there's just a lot of, I think, very interesting things about it. Yeah. And again, the reason we really wanted to talk about the, the Fortnite case is because I think that a lot of people talking about it online, you see a lot of stuff online, are really trying to simplify the issue and say yeah. either this is or isn't you know clear infringement. It's clear infringement, it is copyrightable, or it's just not copyrightable and therefore clearly not infringement. We really wanted to sort of point out in this episode that I don't think it's nearly that clear. Like no. There's a lot more issues involved in here, and there's a lot more ramifications for things outside of this depending on what these issues mean that we might see in the future we might very well see questions as to you know again are tweets copyrightable do we bump into the fact that they're too short mm-hmm. and what about the animated gifs like i,
1: I yeah. sent a tweet to somebody the other day uh, just just making like a point about something statistically it was a sports thing and the guy responded with an animated gif of a uh, pam from the office saying <laughs> yep and that's it yeah. and it was like a half second gif now i don't know if the makers of twitter have a license from nbc to use <laughs> Uh, the Pam Beasley gif.
0: Yeah. But I don't know if they even need one. Yeah. You know, for for something that short, is that a fair use? Again, fair use. You get know, yeah. a fair use questions. you get into the things, where they, what, you know, sh- these, these short infringements. I said, this is the age of the meme. Well, you I think know? this is also why people struggle so much with what you can and can't
1: do with copyright because this kind of conduct goes on constantly online and yeah. it has I mean you and I have been online since the at least the early 90s <laughs> yep. dinosaurs uh, but th- I mean this kind of thing not exactly like this but like like ISCA BBS we were both on there in the yep. 90s they used to have a forum called lyrics where you would like because back then it was hard to find the lyrics for a song yeah, and, unless and, they
0: published them in the, yeah. in the album and cover. it was
1: the age of Nirvana where you couldn't understand what anybody
0: said <laughs> anyway <laughs> so as Weirdo Yankovic you know like directly pointed out in his song yes
1: so you know Iska had a, a lyrics forum where you put a requested and say, can someone post the lyrics to Smells Like Teen Spirit? Because I can't tell what they are. Not someone would post them, Usually that's, because
0: they had like the album, and so they yeah, yeah, the liner the notes, so you could cover, figure yeah. it
1: out. Back when we had albums and liner <laughs> notes, oh my! Uh, but but yeah, and, and I remember at some point, Iska got rid of the forum because they were worried about you know it being copyright infringement. The lyrics of a song are copyrightable, like yeah. any other form of you know
0: poetry or yeah. prose would be. And you see, like today, I mean, how many you go? You get on YouTube and look up any song, and there are plenty of songs that play it with the lyrics shown in front of it, as yeah. opposed to a video. You know, and part of that's uh, presumably to avoid sync license. Um, but, you know, there's – those are potentially interesting copyright infringements that, again, we haven't necessarily really gotten to. They're everyday things
1: that people encounter, and so they just assume that since they can find it, it must not be illegal. Yeah. But they don't know who doesn't have a license and hasn't been caught yet or who doesn't have a license and the person who owns the IP just doesn't care because it's not worth going after yeah. them. Or maybe they do have a license.
0: Well, like one of the ones I bumped into, like when I was talking about you know I'm going to show my kids Madonna videos – It was very much making sure I found the actual video, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, on YouTube. And it was one of those where, you know, fortunately, like I think particularly with music videos, the artists, the the record labels are very, very good about labeling and pointing out which one is the truly official one, um, which one almost always has an ad in front of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's one of those where, you know, I really, quite frankly, I really appreciate that because it's very helpful to me when I'm going through and going, where is the real video to this? Okay, this is the one that's clearly posted by the artist. This is the real one. Um, so you know, let me watch that one to make sure that I have the right one because you know we bump talked about it. You know, like the you know the you know not real Star Wars trailers oh, and things gosh. like that that people have done. That makes me so mad. You know, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you bump into it and you, you hate sort of being duped, but when you're trying to use but it. especially when it looks like a good movie, yeah, like this was way better than what we actually got. <laughs> and when you're trying to use it as an educational thing, you know, it's like this is what it was. This is why this thing's valuable. You got to make sure you have the right one and like it's mm-hmm. not edited and it's what you what is actually tr- like real. <laughs>
1: Let's talk about another case. Uh, This came down earlier this year, and it's not under U.S. law, but it's still interesting. Nintendo won a lawsuit uh, against a Tokyo-based go-kart rental service. Uh, that basically made a real life version of Mario Kart. You could even <laughs> rent costumes and dress like whoever you wanted to, uh, and then you go race go karts. And uh, the court, uh, a Japanese court, ordered the go kart company to stop, stop renting the costumes. The go karts, I think, were okay, but stop renting the costumes and pay Nintendo 10 million yen, which is like $90,000. <laughs> yes, um, a lot of money. <laughs> Uh, we don't have. I mean, I didn't dig into this any further than that. But this kind of gets to the characters for hire case we talked about earlier, which we also have an update on. We'll talk yep. about that later. But the costumes were, were sort of the thing that put them over the edge. They're dressing up like Nintendo's characters, and I, I couldn't tell from the story whether it was a copyright issue, a trademark issue, or maybe something else arising under Japanese law. But I thought that was interesting.
0: Yeah, and again, I think the the, the interesting thing about this is, is this concept of sort of you know taking one thing and turning it into another. There's no. There's not a video game here. This is go kart rental. There's no question that Mario Kart is based upon go-kart racing. I mean, yeah. it's called Kart, and they're obviously driving go-karts, and pretty obvious go-karts. Now, admittedly, they're pretty stylized. Many of them would probably not really work in real life, yeah. um, but, you know, it's... when mean your go-karts don't launch <laughs> turtle shells at people? Yeah, or you throw them, or they have giant, you know, like Venus flytraps on the front that, <laughs> that bite your enemies, um, and then send them to jail. Which Maybe I yours just... don't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want one, if you have one. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's, I think the thing that's really, you know, again, sort of interesting, attention sure to this is, we have it moving into the real world sort of thing, the idea of characters. And we have the question here of what was the infringement? You know, It sounds like it was the characters, not it does. necessarily the concept.
1: Nintendo has issued a statement. They said that they would, quote, continue to take necessary measures against infringement of intellectual property, including our
0: brand, end quote. That makes it sound trademark yeah. But it's also important to note that's a translation. So obviously, it, it is. We don't and, speak and,
1: Japanese. Yeah, Nintendo just said, of IP, including our brand. So they could also be asserting... Co- I mean, they should have a copyright in the way they look. I would think they
0: Yeah. But, but with yeah. costumes,
1: are that weird issue where um, you get into the utilitarian thing, yep. which you know that's a U.S. concept. But I, I would not be surprised if, if yep. the Japanese IP office had similar
0: concepts. And that's what maybe worth talking about. You know, I know you got an update to our U.S. Yeah, copyright, let's go back to that. Man. I kind of skipped over that. Yeah, costume case.
1: Yeah. So characters for hire. If, if, if we had talked about this in a prior episode about uh, was it the cosplay episode? Maybe I think it was yeah, I cosplay forget. episode. Uh, but uh, there's these companies that that hire actors to wear apparently poor uh, costumes of Disney characters. And you can hire them to come to your kids' birthday parties and dress up as Elsa or Belle or, yeah. or whoever. Uh, Disney sued this company, seeking an injunction, and they're raising mostly trademark. Claims, I think. I think yep. there's probably. I would be shocked if there were not also copyright claims. But I think they're mostly raising trademark claims that there's a likelihood of confusion between uh, Disney's licensed uh, characters from its theme parks because they do the same thing. They Obviously, yeah. if you've been to a Disney theme
0: park, yeah. there are plenty of actors, extremely good actors. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: and they and Disney argued that this is going to confuse consumers, and even if it doesn't, it's going to tarnish Disney's brand because the quality of the costumes and performances is bad. <laughs> uh, the judge partially granted summary judgment in favor of the defendant and against Disney. We should say what summary judgment means. It basically means there's no need for a trial. Yeah, the the
0: plaintiff can't win.
1: Yeah, the, the parties don't disagree. So we only have trials to decide facts. Yep. So if there's no actual dispute between the parties about what the facts are, there's no need for a trial. The judge can just rule based on what the law says because yeah. the jury doesn't decide the law. They
0: decide the facts. So, yep. And that's kind of a weird legal concept of yeah. law versus facts. But j- just to give sort of the real brief thing behind it and the way I sort of said it you know, early on, basically if the facts are clear – yeah. There can be only one interpretation of the law. That's yeah. sort of the way the law looks at it. So therefore, if the judge the, the judge can say, since there can be only one interpretation, this is the only acceptable interpretation, and there's no need to dispute anything because nothing else can be true. Yep. And in summary judgment, the real key to it is effectively it's an assertion. So again, summary judgment in favor of the defendant is – Regardless of any disputes that may still underlie exist, even if we find them entirely in the f- in the benefit of the plaintiff, the plaintiff still can't win.
1: Yeah, like with summary, summary judgment, somebody has to move for it, and so yep. you submit a, a suggestion of what you think all the agreed upon facts are, the undisputed material facts to the case. Then yep. the defendant will always say, "No, you're wrong," and <laughs> yep. try and find some dispute of fact to say this has this fact is not is not undisputed, and a jury has to decide it. So we need to get to uh, yep. to a jury um, at which. Point cases usually settled because juries are civil juries are unpredictable. And they go both ways where you
0: can again, you can assert yeah. this is the, the unpredicted fact, this is the unpredicted facts. And again, so, so the, the example would be like, you know, if we have a, a simple safe to be like I sold you a car, if we look at it and say the contract undisputedly says that I did sell you the car, this is what you paid for it, you paid me, and that's yep. undisputed fact, but I didn't give you the car. How can I win this case of saying yeah. I don't owe you the car? Yeah, the
1: judge can just decide yeah, that. The judge there's, can no, decide there's no need this. for a jury to find any facts or, or consider any evidence. So in this case, the defendant presumably moved for some judgment, and the judge granted it uh, in part. There were other claims that yep. were not granted. Interestingly, the judge basically said that there's there's no chance for confusion because
0: the audience for the services are adults, not children. And that's I, I think this is a fascinating sort of determination, quite frankly, in the way of doing it, which basically says the people who are buying these services... Are the adults yeah. now? Presumably, the kids are confused. They actually think these are yeah. truly the Disney characters. That's what Disney
1: said. The market is children, and uh, the plaintiff said no, uh, or the defendant said no. The 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 consumers may be children. Adults are making the decision to purchase it or not, and it's their minds we care about. They're the yeah. market for this. Are they confused into thinking they're getting Disney characters when they're not? And, yeah. the, and the court said no. There's no way.
0: And I think that you know, quite frankly, that's uh, it, given that interpretation, that's correct. I don't yeah. think any of these you know parents assume they're hiring actual Disney actors. No,
1: I think they probably knew darn well yeah, exactly. <laughs> they weren't. <laughs> and then on the on the the poor quality of the imitations, um, that actually worked against Disney. The judge said that. Um, you know, none of the reviews uh, in the record of the services had any signs of confusion. And to the extent that the um you know, the defendants in this case had poor quality imitations, the judge basically said, if it's that bad, that only further demonstrates that it's not Disney
0: <laughs> exactly. Basically, if you make a bad costume, you're probably not confused that it's really the real thing. yeah, um which I find fascinating. My thing I still also want keep bumping into this is Disney sells costumes. Yeah, they do. Officially licensed costumes. My daughter owns a large number of them. Um, <laughs> you know, that, you know, are designed to make you into the character. What am I supposed to do with those? Aren't I supposed to play the character? And again, you sort of bump into that idea of if they're selling these for adults and they do sell them for adults. They do why can't I play that character and why can't I be paid to potentially play that character? And I got to wonder if somewhat that's a little bit of where the judge is that's what It's a
1: commercial use of something like, like you can buy, if you go to like a fabric store, Yeah, you can get officially licensed Star Wars fabric to make yep. quilts and blankets out of and there's a there's a, a a line along the edge called the selvage line which has it's where they print the copyrights and that kind of stuff and it often says on there not for commercial use or resale or something like yeah. that so the idea is they're going to sell you this fabric and implicit with that is that you can make a blanket for your own use or to give to your to your your sister or your nephew but you can't open an Etsy store, store and and sell it there uh, but you know I don't find that persuasive. You know, what, what if I what if I happen to get a, a yard of fabric that doesn't have the selvage line on yeah. it? Are, th- are you saying that's a binding contract? Uh, so I don't find that persuasive yeah, it's, at all. It's, and it's cut
0: off whenever you make anything. You're not going to yeah. incorporate it into yeah. what you're making.
1: So and I I don't think they've had much luck shutting that kind of thing down, but it's it's a related type of issue where once I buy the thing, uh, unless there's some you know shrink wrap license to go with it that's going to say you can't use this costume for anything other than your own private individual use, which I'm
0: sure they say quite frankly
1: they they may or may not. But you know if I don't know that until after I've bought it and opened it, maybe I can or can't return it. You know that's a whole another problem. Moreover, if I'm going to a Halloween party, I'm going to display it in public. Yeah. You know, or to go trick or treating, I have to go (laughs) out in
0: public. Again, if I have that costume and I go to a costume party, if I now pretend to be the character that this is, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, I'm, I get a character for you know, I, we haven't in into the Potterverse right now into a Dementor, and mm-hmm. I just you know go around and you know make hand gestures yeah. and don't say just anything. Act
1: like the character. You're just repeating <laughs> the idea. What if you? I mean, I guess if you repeat lines from the movie, maybe then your you know public performance yeah. or. or that's
0: why I particularly chose a Dementor because they don't say they don't anything. say any lines.
1: Yeah, so there there are interesting issues there. Um, another one we talked about. Uh, Cultural IP. Not yes. too long ago, with uh, the Cree, it's a Canadian uh, First uh, First Nation, First Nations, or First People. First I forget people, yeah. the the phrase they use for it, but uh, a, a Native Canadian uh, a society. And they had taken some issue with how they were depicted in the, the video game Civilization VI, and in particular, they were um, uh, uh, frustrated that they weren't consulted really on on how their cultural values could be reflected in a game like that. And and the comments from the the headman, I think his name was Milton Tetuces.
0: Oh, I can't remember that. I remember, we talked about it. Uh, do to definitely. my head.
1: Um, but he basically said, you know, they they, they should have showed up and, and talked to us and uh, and you know he he said they were they're honored and thrilled to be depicted in a video game, uh, but but not like that. And yeah, they're and depicted they said wrong. It's, it's effectively, it's a game about Western concepts of history, which necessarily involved conquest and acquisition of land, which are values that did not resonate with the Cree people, and uh, and so he would have liked to have seen them portrayed differently. Which there there is an antecedent for Civilization Five had civilizations. That did did not acquire land by conquest. They couldn't build settlers and go out and colonize new lands. Uh, they they expanded and grew through trade and diplomacy. So, um, and, and you and I kind of talked about how. Well, that sounds more interesting. Actually, <laughs> to do something different um, than than the usual a conquest thing. Like, I think one of the ideas we had we I to the I idea of
0: could you actually gain gain by leaving land in its undisputed? Yeah, state. I can't
1: remember we said that in the podcast or not. But I know on the way back we talked about what we were kind of like brainstorming for mechanics you could do, and one of them would be like one of the the the... the values is to to live more in harmony with the natural world as it is rather than using technology to, you know, to terraform everything, for lack of a better term. What if uh, you just made it so that uh, if you're playing the Cree, then you actually gain bonuses over time the longer the land is left in its natural state and goes undisturbed? Yeah. Well... They may have listened to us, Kirk. <laughs> because,
0: I doubt they listened to us.
1: <laughs> no, um, they, they may have listened to uh, uh, to Milton, though, because uh, a new expansion is coming out for Civilization VI that features um, a, another non-Western culture, which, yay, I'm happy to see uh, more interesting cultures depicted. Uh, it is uh, the, I don't know how to say it, the, the Maori? Maori, I see. Yeah, yeah, I think the New Zealand uh, native uh, people. Um, I, I think they're a poly- part of the Polynesian cultures the, It's
0: it, the, definitely their behavior is very Polynesian-like yeah, whether or not that's, the, the wayfaring society yeah, the wayfaring right? society
1: yeah. um, anyway they're in this new expansion and there's some interesting mechanics one of them is that they start at sea they start the game at sea already knowing how to build ships and sail which normally takes you a long time to develop that technology in civilization. Uh, I often don't build it till the Middle Ages because I don't need it. (laughs) I never never go into the ocean. Uh, But they start with that. They start at sea. So the first thing you do with them is go discover land and build your first settlement on a newly discovered island or coast or something like that. So that's neat. I like that. The other thing, though, is one of their uh, uh, bonuses as a civilization is that they gain production bonuses if you don't improve the rainforest tiles. I like that. It makes a lot of sense. It sort of reflects what we talked about with the communal IP, where you know there's traditional remedies and traditional medicine and things like that. That's a topic we tried to get into but didn't have time in the prior episode. But this sort of reflects like you don't you don't chop down the rainforest and then and then turn it into farmland. You leave it the way that it is, and then it actually becomes more useful for
0: you. Yeah, and particularly becomes more useful over time. know I mean, yeah. we don't. I think you know exactly how these guys are going to play, but you yeah. know that's that's definitely what they proposed.
1: Also interesting, and this is more just of a, a flavor thing. Uh, so the Maori gain extra food from. Uh, fishing ocean resources and the way it works in Civ is you basically send a fisher out and yeah, he builds a boat, boat on the fish and the fish stay there and you just get extra food from it, um, but you don't actually deplete the fish; it's just there forever. However, there's a feature called harvesting where you can remove the the resource from the game board entirely and then you get a one time massive infusion of resources. So if you just need to grow a city quickly, yeah. you can harvest the fish tile. Then you can't work it anymore because it's gone, but your city will grow really fast. Yeah, you you, in, you literally over f-
0: your fish. To destroy a capital resource, yeah. which is an intriguing concept. The in military can't do that.
1: Yeah, they can't. They cannot. They cannot harvest ocean resources, which which is interesting. I'd never harvest resources in that game anyway, for the most part. Uh, so this is actually a, a, almost a, a penalty, sort of, but not really, because I don't think most players harvest resources that that often, at least not in the oceans, yeah. uh, ocean tiles. But this sort of also reflects a cultural norm, the the reverence for the ocean and, and ocean life and that sort of thing. So it's I, I like all these concepts. I, I really I can't wait for the game to come out. I want to play it. I want to play these. Guys, particularly. <laughs> um, and I, I'm 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 interesting to see that they're doing some creative things with the mechanics that provide both strategic challenges and um, hopefully also better honor the the actual values yeah. of these of things. We societies. obviously
0: don't know, I mean, if this is, you know, what the, you know, what the is based this. on what they think about it or if they were even asked. I'd be
1: curious if they actually went out and talked to some cultural leaders in the Maori yeah. uh, community and asked them, like, how, what makes sense to you? Like like what what would be non-offensive and and be consistent with um, you know your history and, yeah. and your values but I think be... from
0: us looking at it as a gameplay point of view it's really cool to have sort of this completely different concept um, yeah, you know, definitely. From it, which is a really neat idea
1: well, we're running really long. I think we probably going to wrap this one up. We've got a couple more things to talk about. First Amendment issues and then uh, Wes Ehrlichman, who is the uh, president of our local uh, St. Louis game dev co-op chapter here, um, wanted us to talk about strategy guides and some things like that. But we're running long. I think yeah, we'll wrap this we'll one up. Maybe we'll get into and, strategy
0: guides one next time. I think that, that's, that in and of itself is a really intriguing concept. This sort of really sort of secondary is. market yeah. um, that's created by a lot of sort of IP things. Strategy guides, price guides, things like that is something we can potentially get into on its own. Yeah,
1: we also have this a whole lot of video game patents. I didn't even prepare those for today's episode that we wanted to talk about. Maybe we'll do a two-parter and we'll wrap up on video games uh, next time. Yep. All right. Well, there's the music and it is time to go. If you have questions, comments, topic ideas, criticisms, complaints, remarks, adulations, or rants, you can send your thoughts to us on Twitter at lggpod or email us at lggpodcast at gmail.com. You can also talk to us on our Facebook page, search for Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy and find us there. Subscribe to this podcast on one or more of the platforms or all of the platforms to inflate our listenership numbers. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and the other places where where you get your podcast content. If you like what you hear, please give us a review. Reviews are how we attract more listeners and uh, make it easier for people to find us. You can find me on Twitter at Benjamin Siders and Kirk is at Kirk DM end as we said, I think next time we're going to do part two of what was supposed to be a one-parter. But yeah, we figured this was going to run long. Um, (laughs) We
0: did, we did do a lot of intro and movies and stuff like that in the beginning too. But we thought we was potentially going to run long. We had contemplated the idea of doing this as a two-part episode. I think it does make sense to do this as a two-part episode. We sat
1: down. Kirk looked at the sheet. He's he says, "Oh my!" I'm like, "Yeah, there's three hours of material here."
0: (laughs) Yeah, and so I think that's the the thing with it. And definitely, we can we can we've got some good breaks of things we can move to. So I think we got through what we really hope to get through today, for sure. All right,
1: that's all for today. We'll you next time. Lorem, play us out.
0: The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded at Cool Fire Studios in St. Louis, Missouri.